please be aware that the comments, views, opinions shared on this podcast are not meant to diagnose a medical problem and or legal problem. If you do have a medical problem or legal problem, kindly contact a professional. Welcome to An Apple A Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How you feeling today, my friends? You feeling good? Feeling strong? Feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. Hey, we got a good one for you today. I, I, got, a, I got a lot of news for you today, actually. First things first, we're going to talk about a news release from the Department of Social Security, and this is going to interest you. This is more than just a scam report or something like that. This is something that has been affecting our, our paychecks, okay? This is something that has been affecting every American. I also have a report from Fine Law. If you have ever been discriminated against when you're going to rent an apartment, boy, have I got some good news for you. And also, when you became disabled, did you feel like your life was over? Like, I know for me, when I became disabled, one of the things that I worried about was that I would never be able to drive again. I love to drive. Driving is like my passion. I rode motorcycles. I drove a big truck. I, I drive cars. I love to drive. Now, unfortunately, with the amputation, motorcycles are out, big trucks are out, stick shifts are out, but automatic cars are still in. Well, people were real quick to tell me that, oh, you'll never drive again. But, but have I got good news for you. If you're like me, if you like to drive and you like your independence, believe me, just because you're disabled doesn't stop you from driving. Trust me. And I got the information, I got the proof right here, and we're going to discuss that. And I want you to stay around to the end of the podcast today because I've got phenomenal news. If you remember last time we were together, I told you about that prescription plan that you can save 80%, da-da-da. Well, last week I was in the hospital. I'm going to tell you about that too. But last week I was in the hospital and I had a roommate and the man had a stroke and he had to get Xarelto. But his prescription plan did not cover Zarelto. In order for him to get it, it was going to cost him 400 bucks. Well, stick around to the end of the podcast because I'm going to tell you how much he got it for. And I helped him. So stick around. We're gonna, we, got a, we got a really good one for you today. So let's get started here. First off, let me apologize for last week. I'm sorry I wasn't here. Um, I ended up in the hospital. Yeah, I was getting these massive, massive headaches. And then all of a sudden, my eyesight, my, my left eye was starting to go. I was starting to see, it looked like hairs hanging down in my left eye. And believe me, if you've seen me, I don't have any hair to hang down in my left eye. My hair is rather short. Some people might even say I'm starting to lose some, but I, it looked like I had hairs hanging down in my left eye and this, these headaches. And my wife said, well, you know, you're putting yourself under a lot of stress with the podcast and the website and stuff like that. And I said, no, 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 no. It's not that. I just, even when I'm not doing that, I'm still getting these headaches. And it's, it's to the point that it was keeping me up at night. 
And then she's worried because I have a history of strokes and heart attacks and stuff like that. But the eyesight was bothering me. So she talked me into going to see an ophthalmologist. I went over to see him and he looked at it. He's seen some bleeds behind my eye, you know, little red dots. He says, that's from the diabetes. And he's seen a little uh, breaking off of the retina, little, little bit, not much. But he said, that's also from the diabetes. So next thing I know, he's telling me he wants me to go over to the hospital and get these blood tests done stat in the emergency room. I was like, you're kidding me. He says, no, he says, it's important. Go get it done. So I go to the emergency room and I give them this prescription that the doctor gives me. And they look at it. They look at me. They take, you know, the vital signs and stuff like that. And they said, do you have the headache now? I said, yes, I do. They said, well, on a scale of one to 10, what is it? I said, it's about a seven. You know, it felt like pressure, but it was only on the left side of my head. So they're automatically thinking it's a stroke. Well, they take the, they take the blood tests. And the next thing I know, I'm getting admitted to the hospital. And they're bringing me down for a CAT scan. They're scheduling a, an MRI. Their blood tests up the wazoo. And they're treating me like I'm having a, a stroke. Well, I told them, I said, I have a stent in the right side of carotid artery. I have a prosthetic in my left side. Oh, when they did the CAT scan, because the stent is metal, it looked like my right side carotid artery is blocked 100%. So they freaked out about that. Now they're getting ready to operate on me. And... They said they have to do a Doppler. So they schedule a Doppler right away. And they do the Doppler and then it turns out that that's not blocked. But then they find out that my other side is blocked where the prosthetic is. It was a mess. It was a mess. But then the blood tests come back and they find this other disease. <laughs> they find something called giant cell arteriolitis. Go ahead, ask me what it is. I don't know. It's an inflammation of the artery in your temple. And what it what it was doing, what it's doing is is uh constricting the blood flow to my head actually and it's affecting my eye. And so they got me on prednisone right now. They had to take a biopsy of the temple, of the artery in the temple, which was a barrel of monkeys, let me tell you. So now I'm waiting. I have to wait a week for the biopsy to come back to find out exactly what it is. So they tell me if it comes back positive, it's positive. If it comes back negative, it could still be positive. So it's, I don't know. I'm waiting right now. I should get the results back hopefully today, if not today, Monday at the latest. But I'm still waiting to get the results back. So that's why I wasn't here last week. It wasn't because I was just blowing it off or anything like that. And I felt bad about not being here. I wanted to be here Wednesday, but I had all these follow-up appointments all week. And I had left a note on the podcast page saying, I'll be here Wednesday. But because of all the follow-up appointments, I couldn't be here. Today was the first day I could be here. But I've got such good news about the podcast and what's going on behind the scenes here. You're going to be really happy. We're going to discuss that at the end of the podcast today, too. I don't want to jam up the other stuff I got going on. Of course, I got a backlog of things to go over today. But I'm, I just want to let you know, I wasn't blowing off the podcast last week. I genuinely felt bad that I wasn't here. And there was no real way to get a hold of you because I couldn't do a podcast from the hospital room. Okay, so let's move on here. I want to talk about the press release from Social Security. It's very important. Let's move on. Boy, I hope you're sitting down for this one. I have in my hands a news release from Monday, February 24th, 2020 from the Department of Social Security, ready for immediate release. 
The title of it is Social Security is Modernizing Its Disability Program. Decades old rule updated to reflect today's workforce. I hope you're sitting down. Social Security Commissioner Andrew Saul announced a new final rule today, modernizing an agency disability rule that was introduced in 1978 and has remained unchanged. The new regulation, removing the inability to communicate in English as an education category, updates a disability rule that was more than 40 years old and did not reflect work in the modern economy. This final rule has been in the works for a number of years and updates an antiquated policy that makes the inability to communicate in English a factor in awarding disability benefits. Can you believe that? You can't speak English, so you get disability? What's with all the bilingual schools? Everything's written bilingually. It's important that we have an up-to-date disability program, Commissioner Saul said. The workforce and work opportunities have changed and outdated regulations need to be revised to reflect today's world. A successful disability system must evolve and support the right decision as early as the process is possible. Social Security's disability rules must continue to reflect current medicine and the evolution of work. Social Security is required to consider education to determine if someone's medical condition prevents work, but research shows the inability to communicate in English is no longer a good measure of educational attainment or the ability to engage in work. The rule is another important step in the agency's efforts to modernize its disability programs. In 2015, Social Security's Inspector General recommended that the agency evaluate the appropriateness of this policy. Social Security owes it to the American public to ensure that its disability programs continue to reflect the realities of the modern workplace. This rule also supports the administration's longstanding focus of recognizing that individuals with disabilities can remain in the workforce. This rule will finally be effective on April 27, 2020. To get more Social Security news, follow the press office on Twitter at SSA Press. Can you believe that? If you can't speak English, you are getting disability. How many people were hurt? physically hurt and got turned down for disability. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were turned down for disability more than once. Yet people that couldn't speak English were getting disability. Thank you, Jimmy Carter. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, thank God that, that, that we, have, we finally have someone there that has some sense and they're changing this rule. That's a slap in the face to every immigrant that came into this country, learned the language, and earned a living, took care of their family. This is just another form of welfare for people that are too lazy to assimilate. That's what it comes down to. I understand everyone needs a, everyone needs a, a little bit of time to assimilate, but to collect disability because you didn't learn the language? You know, I'm all for immigration and I'm all for people following the American dream, but oh, I, I am not. I am not for free welfare for everybody. Welfare is not a career choice. If you really want to come to this country and you want to be an American, well, by God, become an American. Learn the language, learn the customs, wave the flag. Forget you, you left a country that you, you didn't like. You left that country because you were being oppressed. 
Then you come here and you want to impose those same rules in a new country. You don't want to assimilate and become an American. I don't understand that. And then this, this government will turn around and give you disability because you don't want to learn the language. And then yet we have people that are physically hurt, that can't work, that can't make ends meet, that are eating pet food, that are eating out of garbage pails, that are living on the street. And you give them money to people that don't want to learn the language. It makes me sick. But thank God, thank God we have somebody there right now that's taking care of that. Thank God. That's all I got to say. If you're as upset about that as I am, let me know. Let me know. Drop me a line. Write me at admin at famousapple.com. Let me know what you think of that. That's, that's ridiculous. Ugh. All right, let's move on. Believe it or not, still in this day and age, people get discriminated against because of their disability or because they're with someone who's disabled. And that's against the law. You know, you always hear about, oh, you can't discriminate because of race or because of sexual orientation. Well, you can't be discriminated against because of your disability either. Now, I did some looking on the, on the web, and I found this, this uh, website, findlaw.com, and it's very interesting. And there's some information there that I want to share with you on rental housing rights for disabled tenants. It says... Under federal law, disabled tenants and prospective tenants with a disability have the right to apply for and live in a rental unit regardless of their impairment. When a landlord rejects disabled tenants based on the use of discriminatory housing practice, they have violated the law. Who qualifies as disabled under the Fair Housing Act? The Federal Fair Housing Act and the Fair Housing Amendments, number 3631, forbid discrimination of tenants or prospective tenants because of a disability or the disability of a person associated with them. The law protects the following people. A person with a mental or physical disability that substantially limits a person's ability to perform one or more major life activities. A person who has a record of disability or a person that is considered by others as having a disability. Types of protective disabilities include mobile, visual, hearing impairments, mental retardation, alcoholism, if it's being treated in a recovery program, drug addiction, not caused by illegal controlled substances, that's important, mental illness, and HIV AIDS. A landlord may not ask discriminatory questions. That's important. If there is an, not an accommodation request, the Fair Housing Acts prohibit the landlord from asking whether the applicant has a disability or about the severity of the impairment. Landlords must treat disabled applicants and tenants in the same way as those without a disability. They cannot request medical records nor guide a tenant to a specific unit. However, a landlord may ask all prospective tenants, including disabled applicants, about whether the applicant can meet the tenancy requirements, like can you pay the rent, the applicant abuses or is addicted to illegal controlled substances, like heroin, meth, or anything like that, the applicant qualifies for a rental unit available only to people with a disability or a certain type of disability, or the applicant qualifies for a rental unit that is offered on a priority basis to people with a disability or with a certain type of disability. 
mental illness and the possibility of direct threats. A landlord may not exclude an applicant because of fear or speculation that the mentally ill person poses a danger. That's important. The landlord can assess, however, whether the individual is a direct threat relying on trustworthy and objective information regarding current conduct or specific acts, such as threats or an assault on another tenant. The landlord must consider several factors, including the nature and severity of the risk of injury, the likelihood of injury, whether a reasonable accommodation can eliminate the direct threat. The landlord must also consider whether the tenant's medication or treatment has eliminated the direct threat. If after evaluating reliable and objective evidence, the landlord can ascertain that the individual poses a direct threat, then the landlord may reject that individual. The right to accommodation. Disabled tenants may request the landlord to make reasonable accommodations to rules, policies, practices, and services that will afford the person equal opportunity to use and enjoy the rental unit and the common areas. There must be a relationship between the modification and the disability. Reasonable requests include the permission to use a service animal, permission to mail a rent payment, or a request to have a parking space large enough for wheelchair access. The landlord does not have to make accommodations for a reasonable request that is unrelated to a tenant's disability or for a request that is not reasonable because it will cause an undue financial and administrative burden on the landlord. However, when a request is unreasonable, HUD requires the landlord and the tenant to proceed in an interactive process to reach a reasonable compromise. The right to make a modification in the apartment. If reasonable, disabled tenants may modify a rental unit to make it safe and comfortable to live in. If the modification will create an inappropriate living condition for the next tenant, the landlord may agree to the modification upon the condition that the tenant restore the unit to its original condition prior to leaving. In this circumstance, the landlord may require the tenant to put money in an interest-bearing escrow account. All modifications are subject to approval with the landlord. The landlord may ask for a description of the proposed modification and any necessary building permits. Common modifications include wheelchair ramps, lowered countertops, and special door handles. Offering proof of a disability and the need for accommodation or modification. In some cases, a disabled tenant will need to provide proof of their disability or proof of the relationship between the disability and the requested accommodation or modification. If disability is obvious and the need for the requested accommodation or modification is apparent, the landlord may not ask for further verification. If the disability is obvious but the need for accommodation or modification is not, the landlord may only ask for necessary disability-related information. When a disability is less apparent, a landlord may request information that verifies the disability, describes the requested modification, and establishes the connection between the disability and the accommodation or the modification. Disabled tenants may offer verification of their impairment by 1. Giving a, a credible statement. 2. Offering proof of receiving supplemental security income or Social Security disability insurance when the individual is under the age of 65. Requesting a doctor, a medical provider, a peer support group, a non-medical service agency, 
or a reliable third party to provide information about their disability. Under federal law, disabled tenants and prospective tenants with a disability have the right to apply for and live in rental unit regardless of their impairment. When a landlord rejects disabled tenants based on the use of discriminatory housing practices, they have violated the law. Protect your rights as a disabled tenant. Talk to a civil rights attorney. If you are a tenant or a prospective tenant and you suspect that you're being discriminated against due to a mental or physical disability, then you should know your rights. Consider meeting with a civil rights attorney to find out if you have a valid claim. It's very important. People seem to think that they can push the disabled around, that the disabled are vulnerable. We've talked about that even with people trying to rip us off for our money. And it's the same thing with landlords sometimes. They don't want us there. It doesn't give a good look. You know what I mean? They're afraid of the liability, but they can't reject us. They can't say, well, we don't want you because your son is has Down syndrome or your daughter has one leg. Or They can't do that. They can't reject you because you have no legs. Know your rights. Know your rights. You're not less of a human being, and you have every right to enjoy your life. That's all I wanted to share with you on that. Don't let people don't let people discriminate against you. Okay, let's move on here. When I first became disabled, I thought this is it. I'm a prisoner. I'm stuck in the house. I've lost my freedom. And the one thing that I loved, the one thing that I lived for was to drive. I drove since I'm 12 years old. I started driving mini bikes. I rode motorcycles. I drove cars. I learned to drive a car when I was 13 years old. I drove big trucks. I drove small trucks. I drove a race car. I drove everything with the exception of an airplane. I never drove an airplane. I have a thing with heights. But I love to drive. Even my lawnmower. I have a ride-on tractor. And that's how I cut my grass. Not anymore because I don't have a left leg and I can't step on the clutch. So now I don't ride a motorcycle, I don't ride a truck, I don't drive a truck, I can't drive a race car because I can't switch gears, but I can still drive an automatic car. So, you know, you have to accept, you have to accept your limits, but if you look, you, you can still move around, you can still get around. You got to look for, you got to look for where you can grab it, you know what I mean? But I want to let you know, even though you're disabled, you can still drive. I found this on the web at Adapted Vehicles, NHTSA, there's such a thing as a driver rehabilitation specialist. That's right. When you become disabled, you can go see a driver rehabilitation specialist, and they perform a comprehensive evaluation to identify the adaptive equipment most suited to your needs and medical condition. As a part of this process, a rehabilitation specialist will take into consideration your future equipment needs based on your medical condition and the repetitive stress and adaptive aid may place on particular muscle groups. In addition, you can expect a complete evaluation to include vision screening, as well as muscle strength, flexibility, range of motion, coordination and reaction time, judgment and decision-making abilities, and the ability to drive with the adaptive equipment. After you finish the evaluation, you should receive a report containing specific recommendations on the driving requirements or restrictions. You should also be given a complete list of any recommended vehicle requirements, 
or modifications. The recommendations suggest obtaining on-the-road training to practice safe operation of the equipment and learn safe driving habits. All right, so how do you find one of these qualified driving rehabilitation specialists, right? That's what you're asking? You check with a rehabilitation center in your area to find qualified driving rehabilitation uh, specialists to perform the evaluation. You'll find rehabilitation centers for each state listed on the websites for the Association for Driver Rehabilitation Specialists, or ADED, and the American Occupational Therapy Association Incorporated, or the AOTA. These associations maintain lists of qualified driver rehabilitation specialists in areas across the United States and Canada. Okay, the next big question is, who's going to pay for this evaluation? Another good question, right? All right. Vocational rehabilitation agencies and workers' compensation agencies may assist in the cost of driver evaluation. Your health insurance company may pay for part or all of the evaluation. Find out from your insurance company if you need a doctor's prescription or other documentation to receive such benefits. If you're a senior citizen, ask your driver rehabilitation specialist if he offers a discount to seniors. Determining the best time to seek a driver evaluation. Consult your doctor to make sure you are physically and psychologically prepared to drive. Being evaluated too soon after an injury stroke or other trauma may be misleading because it may show the need for adaptive equipment that you're not even going to need in the future. You want to be functioning at your best when you have a driver evaluation. For the evaluation, you're going to need to take any equipment you normally use, such as a walker or a neck brace. If you have a wheelchair or you're planning to modify the wheelchair or obtain a new one, be sure to tell your driver rehabilitation specialist prior to the evaluation. Now here's something else, evaluating passengers with disabilities. A driver rehabilitation specialist may also provide advice on compatibility and transportation safety issues for passengers with special needs. They determine the type of seating needed and the person's ability to enter and exit the vehicle. They provide advice on the purchase of modified vehicles and recommend appropriate wheelchair lifts and other equipment that would work in your vehicle. If you have a child who requires a special type of safety seat, evaluators will make sure the seat fits your child properly. They also make sure you can properly install the seat in your vehicle. The American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP, or your pediatrician can provide information on the safe transportation of children with special needs. You can also visit the AAP website, aap.org, that's aap.org, to access information about car safety seats for children with special needs. So there you have it. Just because you're disabled, you're not a prisoner. You can still go. You can still move around. I've been saying that a million times on this podcast. Being disabled does not make you a prisoner. And I love it. I still drive. I got one leg, but I still drive. I drive my minivan. I put my wheelchair in the back of the van, and I'm off and gone. I can go anywhere, and so can you. So if, you, if you're not sure, go find yourself an evaluator. Get evaluated for, for, for driving, and take your freedom back. Get out there. Move around. All right, let's move on here. So as I told you, last week I was in the hospital, and... I was in for a stroke, or so they thought, and it turned out to be giant cell arteriolitis. 
But I had a roommate while I was in the hospital. The fellow was a veteran of Desert Storm, and he had a small stroke. He had a TIA, as they call it. Now, he's been on stroke medication, and it wasn't working anymore, the doctor told him. And they said that they wanted to try him on Xarelto. That's the only thing they figured would work for him. So he calls his wife, and he says they want to put me on Xarelto. But they're tight on money. His wife is sickly. He's sickly. They're on Social Security. So he calls, his wife calls the prescription plan, and they don't cover Xarelto. So she calls the pharmacies, and she starts getting these prices. And one is more ridiculous than the other. 400 430 425 and he we're talking that night and he says I don't know how I'm going to do this he says I can't do it he says like and he says we're, we're playing with my life here so I wasn't even thinking at that at that point and I was looking at the um at my Kindle <laughs> and I just happened to look at the website to see what the numbers were and I seen the ad I said hey Pete I said look at this so I showed him the ad on the Kindle for Blink Health. And I said, check this out. So I, I told them, I said, what's the, what's the milligrams of the Xarelto that they want you to take? So he looks through his papers. He gets the milligrams. We put it in. I said, give me your zip code. Put in his zip code. It comes up that he can get Xarelto from drugstores in his area for $140. $140. You're talking about a $300 difference. So he, he doesn't believe it. And to be honest with you, I kind of thought it was unbelievable myself. So he calls his wife the next morning and he says, call this number. And he, he, they call the uh, pharmacy and they double check and they say, yes, it's 400 and I think it was $431. So then she gets on the computer at home and she goes to the website and she puts it in and she says it doesn't sound right. And so she goes a little bit further and he says that, well, he says, I'm talking to this fellow, Jim, and he runs the website, and he says it's legit. And she's a little bit, ups you know, not upset, but afraid because you have to pay up front. So he says it's worth a shot. He says, because I don't have $400. So they get the, they have to wait until he's getting discharged because he has to get the prescription sent in. So he gets the prescription sent in to one of the drugstores that are on that website, and he takes a shot, and he goes home, and he calls me. He calls me up. He says, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? He says, I got the prescription. He says, I, I paid $140 for it. I said, that's great. That's great. Now, here, here's a guy that's got Medicare, and he's got a prescription plan. And the prescription plan didn't cover it on its formulary. It covered what he already had, but that wasn't working. And the doctor wanted him on Xarelto. And he was afraid because he said, like he said, we're, we're working with my life here. He says, I already had a stroke. And he says, when you have a TIA, which is the truth, a TIA is a warning stroke. That's like a shot across the bow. That's telling you, look, there's a problem. You got to take care of it. And that's what the doctor was trying to do with the Xarelto. So last I heard, which was last week, he got a Xarelto, $300 cheaper through Blink. So if you get a chance, go over to famousapple.com, go to the bottom left-hand side of the page. You'll see an ad there for Blink Health, okay? Put your prescriptions in there. Whether you have insurance you don't have insurance, if you're on Medicare, whatever it is, just put your prescriptions in there and see how much it is. You may find that it's cheaper to buy your prescriptions through Blink Health than it is to buy it through your prescription plan. And here's the thing. It's not buying prescriptions from 
other countries or south of the border. You're buying prescriptions right from the same drugstore that you go to now. Yeah, it could be Costco, it could be Walmart, it could be CVS, it could be Rite Aid, it could be any of them, your local drugstore. If they're participating in the plan, you can get it right there. And paying up front, it's no harm. No harm, it's guaranteed. It's a legitimate site. I've used it. Now Pete's used it. I know a couple other people that have used it, and everyone seems to be very happy with it. So if you get a chance, save some money, go over there, check it out. Now, one more thing I want to tell you. I told you we have some big news coming out about the podcast here. Our new studio has been set up. We're completely set up now to do interviews, and we're going to start doing interviews, hopefully in the next week. And I want to talk to you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear how you became disabled. I want to hear how you get around, how you handle being disabled. I want you to share it with our listeners. So drop me a line at admin at famousapple.com and we'll get you on the podcast. That's right. We can do it by phone. We can do it by Skype. There's a whole bunch of ways we can do it. You don't even have to leave your house, but we'll get you on the podcast with me and you can tell your story and share your tips and tricks with all the other listeners. Well, Thank you very much for stopping by today. I want to apologize again for my voice. I didn't want to miss today's podcast because I missed last week. My voice is like this from being in the hospital. Hopefully next week I'll be 200% better. But I want to remind you one thing. No matter what, things can always be worse, my friends. Right now there's somebody somewhere wishing that they were in your position. So things can always be worse. You haven't hit rock bottom. You're top of the world. All right. You've been listening to An Apple a Day. My name is Jimmy Apple. And if you would do me a favor, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends about us. Give us a like in the box below here. And share us with your, with your friends. Let them know we're here. Hey, one more thing. Remember to laugh. Laughter is the best medicine, my friends. I'll talk to you next week. thanks for listening to an apple a day with jimmy apple your gateway to a happy healthy life join our community at www.famousapple.com see you next time